welcome to the Freedom From Empty podcast, building strong, effective, resilient leaders and humans. My name is Booth Andrews, and I am your host. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. So World Mental Health Day was Wednesday of this week, and I am sharing with you a post that I wrote actually two years ago in this very same week. It was one of the first times that I shared publicly about my own experience with mental illness. And then I want to spend some time talking about the way mental illness is affecting the world that we live in today. Um, And just some words of encouragement for people who may be struggling and for people who love people who may be struggling. So the post starts like this. Mental illness. It isn't cancer. And by saying that, I by no means am suggesting that cancer isn't a terrible, awful, devastating disease. I lost my mom to cancer, and I will never be over it. I say this because unlike cancer and so many physical ailments, mental illness is invisible. You cannot smell it, taste it, touch it, or see it. It is a silent terror. Actually, I'll I'll go back on that. They're starting to be able to see mental illness. There's research out there where they're starting to be able to see the impact on the brain. But for most of us, we don't have, we don't walk away with an x-ray that shows that we are have, that we're suffering with mental illness. It is a silent terror that lives in the body and the mind. The first time I remember being depressed, I was 17 years old. I struggled daily to get out of bed to go to school. And then I started crying and couldn't stop which was really unusual for me because I basically never cried. I even had to leave school one day because I couldn't get myself together enough to stay in physics class. And then in college, I became a leader and an overachiever. And I thought I had won, that somehow I had managed to escape my childhood mostly unscathed. And I never looked back until I lost mom in 2012. And since then, I have learned to live and work with severe depression, anxiety, and PTSD. I am going to pull heavily from other websites today as I share data around mental health, and I will link all of those websites in the show notes. Recently, a year-long telephone survey of 29,000 working adults dubbed the American Productivity Audit calculated the cost of presenteeism in the U.S. to be more than $150 billion a year. Most studies confirm that presenteeism, which basically is being at work but not able to fully engage in some way, is far more costly than illness-related absenteeism or disability. Two Journal of the American Medical Association studies found that on-the-job productivity lost resulting from depression and pain was roughly three times greater than the absence-related productivity loss attributed to these conditions. In a recent survey of entrepreneurs, 30% reported a lifetime history of depression, and 72% of entrepreneurs suffer from mental health problems as compared to just 7% of the general public. While it's unclear whether or not entrepreneurs have a predisposition to mental health issues, it is evident that the stress of the industry exacerbates the issue, giving rise to the term founder's blues, 
According to Fortune Magazine, 30% of startups fail due to the emotional state of their founders. 13% due to loss of focus, 9% due to loss of passion, and 8% due to founder burnout. What is true is that one in four people in the world will experience a mental or neurological illness at some point in their lives. Nearly two-thirds of those with a known mental illness never seek professional treatment. Mentalhelp.net surveyed over 2,000 people in the United States about their willingness to discuss depression and physical illnesses to uncover what people are comfortable about talking about or what they're not comfortable talking about. Common misperceptions and stigma surrounding mental health conditions may deter people from seeking treatment. Major depressive disorder affects more than 15 million adults in the U.S. and is currently the leading cause of disability for people aged 15 to 44. While depression may be confused with sadness or antisocial behavior, Major depressive disorder is defined as a form of depression that does not correct itself naturally and can present serious symptoms like anxiety, fatigue, lack of interest in hobbies or activities, and even thoughts of death or suicide. So considering the effects of the condition, mentalhelp.net asked respondents how likely they would be to admit they weren't interested in going out or engaging in social activity Due to feelings of depression, less than half of the survey respondents said they would disclose their mental health status to a family member or friend in this scenario. In comparison, the vast majority of respondents were somewhat likely or very likely to admit to their family, friends, and significant other that a physical illness was preventing them from going out or engaging in social activity. It's evident that the survey respondents did not believe their mental health would be accepted as a legitimate health concern equivalent to a physical ailment. The survey reveals a clear delineation between how Americans think about mental health and physical health. And without more open conversations surrounding mental health, those who are suffering may stall progress in seeking help and support. When we asked respondents how likely they would be to tell their boss that a mental illness was the reason they couldn't come into work, participants overwhelmingly said they were very unlikely to be honest about their mental health. In contrast, the majority of the participants were very likely to share their physical ailment with their boss. Many people perceived depression as a form of personal weakness. I was actually talking to someone about that just this week. Rather than a serious illness that comes from biochemical, environmental, and genetic factors. And because of this, people may be afraid to admit when they are experiencing symptoms. At work, those suffering from depression may even be afraid of losing their job. I know I was. Depression in the workplace is a serious concern. Depression accounts for over 217 million lost workdays every year, and studies show that workplace suicides are on the rise. Data from 2003 to 2010 indicates that more than 17,000 workers took their own lives, averaging 1.5 suicides for every 1 million workers. These suicide rates were 15 times higher for men than for women 
and four times higher for workers between 65 and 74 years old. Some companies have made the effort to increase education around mental health among employees to help reduce the stigma surrounding mental illness and to encourage understanding and support among coworkers. Corporations that have adopted mental wellness programs have opened up pathways between employees and upper management for open dialogue about mental health concerns. Despite the serious nature of depression and other mental illnesses, research suggests that many adults who suffer from these conditions don't just delay treatment, they avoid it completely. When mentalhelp.net asked participants how long they would wait to seek medical help if they were suffering from a mental illness, over 40% admitted they would wait a month to pursue treatment, while almost 23% said they wouldn't seek help at all. Comparatively, 66% of respondents would not wait longer than one week to seek treatment for a physical ailment. The delay of seeking medical attention for mental illness can be tragic. The long-term effects of untreated depression can include cardiovascular disease, substance abuse, and higher rates of mortality. Long-term depression has also been linked to increased risk of heart attacks, brought on by a combination of the symptoms of depression and stress within those who have heart disease. Depression is the psychiatric diagnosis most commonly associated to suicide. So why do most people avoid treatment for mental illness? The most common barriers include stigma, fear, embarrassment, and finances. The history of mental health stigma in the United States is long and varied. But studies have shown that education and personal contact with someone who suffers from conditions like depression can have a positive impact on the perception not just of their condition, but hope in the chances of recovery. One of the most powerful and most devastating symptoms of mental illness is feeling all alone. And sadly, many suffering from depression do not realize the full severity of their conditions, or the effect of delaying treatment. One respondent in the survey said that the concern over discrimination and concern of the effect of a positive diagnosis on their own self-esteem was what prevented them from seeking help for a potential mental illness. To better understand how respondents perceived stigma around mental illness, MentalHelp.net asked them why they felt uncomfortable discussing their mental health. The responses revealed some disheartening patterns. Words such as weak, judgment, stigma, and not understanding were common. Despite research linking mental illness to biological and genetic factors, there are still misperceptions surrounding those who suffer from depression. And stigma continues to play a role in discouraging individuals from seeking treatment. We know the importance of prevention when it comes to physical illness. Routine checkups, screenings, and general awareness can be effective strategies to catching a disease early and increasing the chances of recovery. And the same is true of mental illness. When treatment is only focused on the later stages of mental illness, it can become costly not only to the individual but to the community at large. Early intervention 
can prevent the potential results of mental illness, including serious impairment, unemployment, homelessness, poverty, and suicide. Early detection, assessment, and connection with treatment can have a significant impact on the lives of those who experience mental health issues. Not only can this prevent mental health problems from getting worse, it can also improve worker productivity and decrease the cost of providing health insurance. Companies with the most effective health and productivity programs achieved 11% more revenue per employee, delivered 28% higher shareholder returns, and had lower medical trends and fewer absences per employee. Words matter. An article posted on Mashable this week, written by Maya Anista-Smith, entitled Five Ways to Talk About Mental Health That'll Leave You Feeling Better, points out that words matter so very much when we're trying to address the stigma of mental health. Did your boss act crazy today? Did the driver on the highway next to you act like a psycho? Will you just die if you don't get an invite to the party? And actually, in my own experience in the last week, I heard someone tell my child, well, that's all in your head. As we try and build a world without stigma, where people feel safe to share their emotions, their challenges, and their successes, we have to create a space that honors those emotions, challenges, and successes. And again, this is Maya writing, my children could drop an F-bomb if they wanted to, but they can't say hate, and they can't say crazy. We need to take responsibility for the words that we say, recognizing that the people we are talking to and about might have different experiences with so many of those words. We need to encourage, invite, and model safe, healthy conversations about mental health, and we need the tools and the words to do so. What I have learned in my own journey is that you don't battle mental illness. You do learn over time not to be afraid, to let the darkness come, knowing that it will recede in time. And hopefully, over time, when the darkness does come, it will not be as deep or as wide as the last time. And you yourself will be stronger in the face of it. But there aren't any promises there, no guarantees. If you struggle silently with mental illness, like I did for many years, I hope this podcast will let you know that you are not alone. You are not weak. Take your medicine. I asked somebody this week, I said, if you had a heart condition, would you take the medicine? Because she was struggling with the decision to take medicine prescribed to help her mental health. You are going to be okay. No matter what, you are going to be okay. The darkness cannot eat you. It feels like it will swallow you whole. But the darkness will recede and you will still be there in all of your value and all of your beauty, even though you can't see it right now. Healing is not a linear journey. We don't always move forward but we get better at regrounding ourselves when we find that we've lost our way or that the darkness has come again. And I want you to know that there is hope. There 
is hope. The nonprofit To Write Love on Her Arms has a a number of t-shirts that I love, but one of my favorites right now says hope is defiant. And I absolutely believe that holding on to hope in the face of mental illness is an act of defiance and an act of will and an act of belief. If you are someone who loves someone with mental illness, I hope that you've learned a little bit more about what that loved one might be facing each day, how common it is that the people that we run into in our lives on a daily basis are struggling with the same illness, and that keeping quiet about the illness only makes us sicker. Each day that someone who has mental illness rises, each day that they fight to be present in spite of the terror, each day that they offer themselves up to the world instead of receding into the darkness, each and every day they may silently perform a Herculean feat, hoping that the next day the light will come again. Tell them that you love them. Tell them that they are not alone. Offer to sit with them in the darkness, in the fear, and in the pain. You do not have to fix anything. You cannot fix anything. But you can offer someone a safe place to know that they are deeply, truly, unconditionally loved. Unconditionally loved despite whatever the darkness may be telling them is true. There are lots and lots of resources out there for people who are struggling with mental illness and for people who care about people who are struggling and for people who want to get more education and information about how to have safe conversation. So I will, again, link a lot of those resources in the show notes from this episode. Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about the work that I do with individuals, groups, and organizations, go to boothandrews.com. You can also find me on Facebook at Booth Andrews and on Instagram and Twitter at Knoxlight. That's K-N-O-X-L-I-G-H-T. Thank you for listening, and if you haven't already, please hit subscribe and remember to rate this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I look forward to being back with you next time. This has been a Humble Pod production. Stay humble.